But anyhow, Merry Christmas to all of you. Um, I'm so glad that you're here. We, we try to make Christmas Eve kind of special. And let me just tell you, our family is not like a lot of families uh, at Christmas. Now, the way a lot of families do it, and you know this, maybe you're one of them, they, I mean, they run to the Christmas tree on Christmas morning like their hair's on fire. And, and, and they open their presents all at once as if they're afraid that Jesus is going to come back before breakfast. You know, I mean, it's just kind of, you know, one and done kind of a thing. Well, we don't do it that way. Our, our family does it absolutely, totally differently. We, we normally don't even get to, we don't even open our presents to usually Christmas after lunch, Christmas afternoon. And what we do is we get our grandchildren to, to go get all the presents that are under the tree and they separate all the presents and, and they put them in front of where everybody sits. We all have kind of sat in the same place all these years. So the grandchildren go and they get the presents and they stack them up in front of, you know, whoever's gonna open their, their gifts. And, and then we open our gifts one at a time and we kind of rotate from one person to the next. And it takes a long time for us to do that. We, you know, now, I know you're asking the question, does everybody like to do it that way? No, they don't. But Pop does. And since Pop pays for most of the presents, we do it Pop's way, okay? So that's kind of the way we do it. But what, what makes it possible and the reason why the grandkids know what to do is because every name tag it has a first name on it. And because we're a family and we know each other the way we should, we are on a first name basis. Every family ought to be on a first name basis. Now that's not always true. I was reading the other day about uh, an elderly couple and a, and a man moved in next door to them, his brand new neighbor. So they decided they'd invite him over for dinner to kind of get acquainted. And so he noticed that the husband was always referring to his wife with these sweet, tender names. He, he'd call her honey and sugar bunny and my love and darling and sweetheart and precious and beautiful and sweetness. I mean, every time he referred to her, it was this beautiful, sweet, tender, romantic name. And he was so impressed, and, and, and especially when he learned they'd been married 70 years. So while the wife was off in the kitchen, he pulled his new friend aside and he said, I, I just gotta tell you, I just think it's wonderful after all these years that you've been married, 70 years, that you still call your wife all these pet names. And the old man kind of hung his head and he said, well, tell you the truth, I forgot her first name about 10 years ago. <laughs> now, the creator of the universe, the savior of the world, the Lord of everything there is, is telling us this Christmas, I want you to know me on a first name basis. I know you by your first name. I want you to know me by my first name. And 700 years before Jesus Christ was even born, a prophet by the name of Isaiah described not only who Jesus was, then he tells us these are the names you can call him. These are his first names. If you're a guest of ours today, we've been in a series that we've been calling first name basis. And yes, I know you may have referred to Jesus as Jesus and you may really talk to God as God. But for many of you, perhaps, you really don't know him on a true first name basis. And that's the way God wants you to know him. By the way, these names show us not only what Jesus is to be called, but who Jesus is and who Jesus wants to be to every one of us one-on-one. -on -one. So if you bought a copy of God's Word, like to look along, we're in a book called Isaiah. If you don't know where that is or can't find it, we'll put up the verses on the screen. But about the middle of your Bible, a little bit past the book of Psalms, there's a prophet called Isaiah. We're in Isaiah chapter nine. 
And you might want to turn that. I want you to listen again to what this prophet named Isaiah predicted about this baby that would be born 700 years before Christmas ever took place. For to us, a child is born. And by the way, I'm pretty sure Isaiah didn't even realize what he was writing when he wrote it. For unto us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. And the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now, just as a way of review, in case you have missed or you've forgotten, he begins by telling us, first of all, let me tell you what this child is before I tell you who he is and what we're to call him. He says, unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given. So right off the bat, Jesus, Isaiah is telling us this was not an ordinary baby that was laid in that manger that we sing about 2,000 years ago. This little baby was divinely human. He was a child that was born. We're all born like that. We're all born as children. He, so he had, he had humanity. But he was also a son that was given. He didn't just have humanity. He had divinity. He was a child that was born just like us. But he was a son that was given. He's not just like us. He was fully human like we are. But he was also fully God. Now, the reason why Isaiah wants us to know that is because when you study these names that he is to be called, you would go, wait a minute. Nobody, no ordinary run-of-the-mill human being deserves to be called these names, but he does because he's not just human and he's not just divine. He is divinely human. So last week, we learned that he is our heavenly guide. He is wonderful counselor and he is mighty God. So he's the wonderful counselor. He doesn't just give human advice that's hit or miss, maybe right, maybe wrong. We said last week, as the wonderful counselor, you can always follow what he tells you to do. He gives you divine wisdom. He'll always lead you in the right path. He'll always tell you the best thing to do. He'll always help you take the right path and make the right decision. Then we read that not only can we call him wonderful counselor, we call him mighty God. Now, the reason why that's so important is because unlike any other counselor, I was doing some counseling this morning. I really was with, with, with a man that needed some help. And he wrote me this week and, and I was out and I said, hey, I'll be glad to see you before church. And I just saw him this morning real early. I got here early this morning and saw him. And, and I told him I, when I was trying to advise him and kind of give him counsel, I said, look, I can tell you what to do, but I can't make you do it. I can't enable you to do it. Jesus is not just a wonderful counselor. He not only will tell you what to do, he's the mighty God. He'll give you the power to do it. He will enable you to take the advice that he gives you. So he doesn't just tell you where to go. He absolutely enables you to get there. Now today, we're going to see that Jesus is not just divinely human. We're going to see that Jesus is not just our heavenly guide. Today, Isaiah is going to tell us he is eternally satisfying because he is the eternal father, the everlasting father, and he is the prince of peace. Now, I want you to take those two names. Here's what I want to share with you today, a real brief message. Those two names reveal to us who Jesus wants to be to us, what Jesus wants us to be to him, and actually he tells us what is true about everybody that knows Jesus on a first name basis. First of all, he is the everlasting father. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us that our position with God is eternally secure. Our position with God is eternally 
secure. By the way, the Hebrew, the way the Hebrew translates that, that phrase, everlasting father, it literally means the father of eternity. Now, let me help us this morning because we are in the Old Testament. When you read the Old Testament, you have to remember the Old Testament was written in Hebrew by Hebrews for Hebrews. In other words, it was written in the Jewish language by Jewish people for Jewish people. So you've got to think like a Jew thinks because remember, again, this is a Hebrew speaker writing in Hebrew language. Let me tell you why this is important. For a Jew, when you talk called someone a father, they thought two things. They said, okay, if he's the father, he is the originator and he is the author. He is the originator of something. He is the author of something. And so when Isaiah said, Jesus, we can call him the everlasting father, the eternal father, what he's saying is he is the originator of everything eternal. In other words, God doesn't just deal with the temporal. That's why we get frustrated with God sometimes. You know, we get frustrated because, well, God, you didn't, you didn't do what I asked you to do when I asked you to do it. You, you showed up, but you didn't show up on time. And what, what, the thing you need to remember about God is God is not a God of the temporal. God's a God of the eternal. God doesn't care one whit about time. We do. God does it. By the way, full, full disclosure, God doesn't wear a watch. That's why the Bible says with God a, thousand years is like a day and a day's like a thousand years. Time means nothing to God. He doesn't deal with the temporal. He deals with the eternal. By the way, later on, Isaiah goes on to say this about this God of eternity. He says, I make known, that is God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. Now, what Isaiah is saying about Jesus is this. Look, Jesus has no beginning. He has no ending. He is eternal. But he controls the beginning of everything and he controls the ending of everything. And that's why he alone can absolutely perfectly predict how everything's going to turn out because for all eternity, he's always been in complete control. He's the originator of all of this. He is the author of all of this. He was there at the beginning of all of this. He will be there at the ending of all of this. And he's in control of all of this. See, sometimes we see how things end, but we don't see how things begin. And then sometimes we see how things begin, but we don't see how things end. Jesus is different. He sees the beginning and the end. He sees the end of everything, and furthermore, he guarantees everything is going to end up accomplishing his purpose. By the way, he is truly the only one in the universe that does everything that he pleases, anything that he pleases. You know, there's some people, you'll meet them, and they're kind of arrogant and full of themselves. Well, how do you live your life? Well, I just kind of do it my way. I just kind of do whatever I please. Nobody does that. Nobody has the power ultimately to do that. You really can't do everything that you please because you don't control everything. He does. He is the father of all eternity. He is the only one that can do whatever he pleases, whenever he pleases, wherever he pleases to do it. So he is called the everlasting father. Let me just stop right there. If you've been a follower of Jesus for a long time or if you've kind of grown up in church or you've kind of you know read your Bible and, and say you know the Lord's prayer, you say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, time out. I thought there's God the Father, and then there's God the Son. That is true. 
So are you saying that God is the Father? No. Are you saying the Father is the Son? No, not ontologically speaking. Now, they are one and the same, but there are, there's God the Father and there's God the Son. You say, okay, then why does Isaiah call Jesus the everlasting Father? Because in a real sense, Jesus, God the Son, relates to us as a Father. As a matter of fact, you know one of the reasons why Jesus was born 2,000 years ago? The reason why he even came to planet Earth was to show us invisible form. You want to know what God is like? God's like a father. And I'm gonna show you by the way I live and the way I act and the way I treat you. This is what God is like. As a matter of fact, there was a disciple that Jesus had. His name was Philip. And he'd been with Jesus for three years. And, and so finally, he, you, know, you know, he noticed this, this, this special relationship that Jesus seemed to have with God the Father. And so one day, Philip said to him, Lord, would you show us the Father? Well, I'm going to be honest. I think Jesus was probably a little bit aggravated and a little bit irritated because in effect, he says to Philip, let me get this straight. You've been with me three years. You haven't hardly been away from my side. We have been together 24-7. We have camped out together. We've eaten together. We have walked together. You've heard me teach the multitudes together. You've seen me work mirrors together. And you're asking me to show you the Father. And so Jesus says this, anyone who has seen me, has seen the Father. If you've seen me, Jesus said, you have seen the Father. In other words, the Son that was sent by the Father is exactly like the Father, and it's through the Son that we come to know God as our Father. Now, Jesus is not just an earthly Father. Here's the difference. Listen, this is why this is so important. He's not just the Father. Isaiah said, He is the everlasting Father. He is the eternal Father. He is the forever Father. Now, for some of you, this is really going to hit home. Let me tell you what that means. If He is our forever Father, if He is our everlasting Father, that means He'll never walk out on you. He will never disown you. He will never deny you. He will never desert you. It doesn't matter how you disappoint him. It doesn't matter when you fall flat on your face. It doesn't matter when you fall into a mud pit of sin, which we all do from time to time. It doesn't matter when you fall short of what you know he would have you to do. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, Jesus says, I am your everlasting father. I am your eternal father. Even when you turn your back on me, I won't turn my back on you. Even when you walk out on me, I won't walk out on you. I will never deny, deny you. I will never disown you. I will never desert you. You know, there's one thing that will be true of me until the day I die. I will always be the earthly father of three young men, James, Jonathan, Joshua. Now, they have been absolutely fantastic sons. And it's a joy. In fact, I was thinking this morning when I got up and I was having my quiet time, I got to thinking about, you know, tomorrow's Christmas Day. And I, I, really, mean, I really mean this. I got to thinking, every day for me is Christmas Day. Every day is Christmas Day. So, oh, come on, I'm serious. If Jesus is your Lord and Savior and you know him on a first name basis, every day is Christmas Day. I've got a wife. I've got the most beautiful wife on the planet I'm more in love with today than I was the day I married her 41 and a half years ago. 
Every day's Christmas to me. My three boys, James, Jonathan, and Joshua, they're my very best friends. We're all just like that. Now, I did learn growing up, I know why some animals eat their young. I, I did learn that. But at the end of the day, we're just like that. I got four grandchildren that thinks pop walks on water. I got a church that I love, a church that I so enjoy pastoring, a church that's so good to me. I'm telling you, some of the best people I've ever pastored in my life are sitting in this room right now. Some of the best friends I've ever had are in this room right now. Every single day for me is absolutely Christmas day. But here's the, what's, so, what's so best, the best thing of all is to know that this Jesus who is my Lord and my Savior is my everlasting, eternal, forever Father, that the moment I gave my life to him as a nine-year-old boy, I came into his family as one of his children, and for as long as I live and for eternity after I'm gone, he will always be my eternal father. See, wherever my sons are at any given moment, they can lay their head on their pillow, and there's one thing they know when they go to sleep at night. They've got a dad that loves them. They've got a dad that's got their back. They've got a dad that will stick by them. They've got a dad that, that, that they know if you've got a need and dad can meet that need, dad will meet that need. Well, let me tell you something. When you know Jesus Christ on a first name basis and he is not just your Lord, he is not just your savior, but you finally realize he is my everlasting forever father. You can know when you lay your head on a pillow at night, you have a father that will love you for all eternity, who will never walk out on you, who will never turn his back on you, who will never leave you or forsake you because of Jesus, because of Jesus. God was my father yesterday. God is my father today and God will be my father forever. That is Christmas every single day. Every day. Can you just give the Lord a hand? I mean, it's just every day. See, you see, because of Jesus, because of Jesus, our position with God is completely secure. But then he tells us something else. He says our peace with God is totally sure. Our peace with God is totally sure. Our position with God is eternally secure, but our peace with God is totally sure. Now, the last thing that Isaiah gives us is one that we should all be glad you know, with this. I mean, you think about this. I was thinking about this the other day. If you watch the news very often, I'm telling you, it can be depressing. I mean, it really can. I mean, it's, it's, you know, sometimes you ought to take a news break and just kind of catch your breath because if you think about it, we're living on a powder keg of a world. I mean, terrorism, never know where it's going to hit next. Random violence, suicide bombers, they're a daily reality. And now for the first time since I was a kid, some of you will remember the, the Cold War crisis, the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. I remember as a kid, some of you will remember this if you're old enough. I remember we used to do drills. It's kind of funny now looking back at it. You know, We did drills where if they, if they rang the alarm, you had to get under your desk. Like that's gonna help in case a nuclear bomb falls. Yeah, get on your desk. How's that gonna work out for you, right? But we used to have these drills where, you know, we, we really thought we were on the brink of nuclear war where we're at the same, almost the same place again where it seems like nuclear war could be a looming presence. And Isaiah comes along and says, oh, by the way, and he will be called Prince of Peace. Now, I want you to listen to what he just called 
He called him the prince of peace. He's not just a diplomat who tries to make peace. He is the prince who rules over peace. He is the prince who gives peace. He is the prince who is peace. In other words, if he is the prince of peace, let me tell you what that means. There's no real peace apart from him. There really isn't. There's no real peace apart from him. As a matter of fact, Jesus said something about peace, about the peace that he gives, that I wish the whole world could hear right now. Listen to what he said. He said, peace I leave with you. Now, if he just stopped there, you'd have said, well, man, everybody says they got peace. I mean, diplomats say that, psychiatrists say that, you know, presidents say that, kings say that. Well, I've come to give you peace. He said, peace I live with you. My peace I give you. Okay, what do you mean? I do not give to you as the world gives. He said, my peace is not the same kind of peace that the world gives you. Well, well, why is that? Because the peace this world gives you can be blown apart just like that by a sneak attack or a sniper's bullet or a terrorist bomb or a pink slip at work or a bad x-ray. And all of a sudden, the peace this world gives you is gone. But the peace that Jesus gives is so different. Let me tell you three ways it's different. Only Jesus can give political peace. Only Jesus can give political peace. I I didn't know this. This is a little interesting fact for you. The earliest known peace treaty we've ever discovered goes back to 1300 BC. Earliest one we know. So think about this. For over 3,000 years, we've been signing peace treaties. 3,000 years. Let me tell you this. This blew me away. Do you know how many peace treaties we have signed in 3,000 years? If you go to that great bastion of um, scholarly knowledge, Wikipedia, you want to see all the peace treaties that we signed in 3,000 years? Are you ready for this? It takes 74 pages to list all the peace treaties that we have signed in 3,000 years. And yet, we still don't have peace on earth. Yeah, we want peace on earth and we want goodwill toward men, but there will be no peace on earth until the Prince of Peace returns to earth. Only Jesus can give political peace. My peace, he said, I give unto you. Number two, only Jesus can give personal peace. Not just political peace, only Jesus can give personal peace. You know, I was thinking, as I was driving in today, I thought about how many homes have their Christmas lights on, but if you walked into that home, it's anything but Christmas. I mean, there's, there's so many troubled homes, troubled hearts, troubled cities, and troubled people. And it breaks my heart to see everybody's looking for relief in all the wrong places. Now, you might find temporary relief, you know, uh, you might find temporary peace on a psychologist's couch or in a bottle or in a drug or even a human relationship or all the stuff that you can buy. You might find some temporary peace, but the truth of the matter is you'll only find real peace when you've come to the Prince of Peace and let him make peace with you and give his peace to you. When Ronald Reagan was the governor of California. Of course, it was a different state back in that day, but he had to face decisions on abortion. He had to face uh, decisions on the death penalty, on taxes, budget deficits, and all the other things that have frankly gotten a whole lot worse since he was the governor. 
He had an aide by the name of Michael Deaver. Michael Deaver, I read this in one of the books about Reagan. He said one afternoon he, he, he walked into the governor's office and just as he walked in, he said that, that Reagan had a little small bottle in his hand. He was drinking a few gulps of it. Well, Reagan saw him and immediately held up the bottle. He said, Mike, this is not booze. I'm not drinking booze. I'm not an alcoholic. I'm not, I'm not getting drunk. He said, but it's a drug. And he said, well, Mr. Governor, why, why are you taking the drug? He said, well, I've just got an upset stomach. My stomach bothers me all the time. He said, it's been killing me. And he said, frankly, I just got to drink this stuff several times a day just to get through the day. Well, a few months went by and, and Deaver was talking to, the, to Reagan and he said, uh, Governor, by the way, he said, your, your stomach must be doing better. And uh, Governor Reagan said, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, Mike, it is. He said, how do you know that? He said, well, he said, you know, I, I haven't seen that little bottle in, in quite a while. And Ronald Reagan looked at him, and I want you to listen to what he said. He said, Mike, he said, when things were really getting bad a few months ago, and I didn't know what to do or where to turn, I kept looking inside of a bottle, hoping I'd get peace, but it didn't bring me peace. And he said, I kept looking over my shoulder trying to find answers, but I never got the right answers. And he said, you know what? Then one day it hit me, I realized I'd been looking at the, in the wrong place and in the wrong direction. He said, I decided I'd start looking up. And that's when I found peace for my stomach. See, only Jesus can give personal peace. Only Jesus can give political peace. Only Jesus can give permanent peace. I mean, lasting peace. See, Jesus can not only give you peace in this life. He can. He'll give you peace when you come to the end of your life, when you're about to enter into the next life. I'm telling you, some of you already know this. One of the things you'll learn is the older you get, and I don't know when it happens. It happens at different times for different people, but you'll hit an age. Trust me, because I've been there. You'll hit a certain age. You'll hit a certain birthday. For some, it's when they hit their 40th birthday. Some, it's when they hit 50th. Some, it's when their 60th birthday. Okay, I don't know when it is. But you're going to hit a certain birthday, and all of a sudden, you're going to start thinking about death like you've never thought about it before. I don't mean in a morbid, you know, sad, obsessive way, but you just start thinking. When you realize, you know what? I've got less rope at the end of my life than I had now at the end, you know, beginning of my life. When you realize, hey, you know, I've kind of gone over the other side, you, you start thinking about death and, you, and you, you start thinking about, you know, well, what's it going to be like and how's it going to be and where's it going to be and, you know, when is it going to be? And, and I'll just be honest. I mean, I just want, to die in peace and rest in peace. And only Jesus can help you do that. My, um, I've talked about him all the time, Adrian Rogers. Dr. Rogers um, died of cancer, 74 years old. I mean, really not that old. I used to think 74 was ancient. Now at my age, I think it's real young. But 74 years old and, you know, always kept himself healthy and so on and so forth. Anyhow, he had colon cancer. So he uh, went into the hospital, and um, he, they didn't tell him at first, but he wasn't going to come out. So he got physically at the point where they came in, and his doctor, who's a member of his church, said, Pastor, we've got to intubate you. And if you don't know what intubation is, intubation is a process where doctors insert a tube into your mouth, and it goes down into your airway, and it, was, it not only allows you to breathe, if you're having trouble breathing, which he was, but, but it also, uh, they can use it to sedate you to, to alleviate great pain. And he was in a lot of pain. So uh, they were going to intubate him. And Dr. Rogers said, okay, that's fine. And they said, well, we have to tell you something. They said, before we intubate you, 
this will probably be the last time you'll ever be able to speak to your family. So whatever you want to say, you need to say it now. Can you imagine that? I mean, doctor just told you basically, I'm going to put a tube down your throat. You're not going to say another word to anybody else. You're going to die with that tube in your throat. So Dr. Rogers took a moment. His family was there. And of course, he told them how much he loved them and cared for them. And just before they put that tube down in his throat, I want you to listen to what he said. Dr. Rogers looked at his doctor with that tube about to go down his throat. And he looked into his eyes and he said, I am at perfect peace. I am at perfect peace. That's the kind of peace Jesus gives. Permanent, personal, perfect peace. So the question comes, well, what's in a name? Well, it depends on whose name it is. I'll tell you this. If it's Jesus, everything's in that name. If his name is Jesus, everything you need is in the one who carries those names. For example, anybody here today facing a real hard decision and you don't know which way to go, that's okay. Jesus is the wonderful counselor. You got a, you're, you're facing a real tough demand in your life and you don't know whether you're up to meeting that demand or not. That's all right. He is the mighty God. You're facing a great difficulty in your life and you don't know whether it's going to overwhelm you or not. That's all right. He is the eternal father. You're in great distress. You're walking the floor. You don't know how this is going to work out. He is the prince of peace. Because let me tell you something. When God gave that little baby 2,000 years ago and that little boy was laid in that manger, you know why he sent him? He didn't do it just because he knew what we needed. He knew who we needed. We needed a wonderful counselor. We needed a mighty God. We needed an everlasting father. We needed the prince of peace. We needed a wonderful counselor who looks ahead of us and can show us what to do. We need a mighty God who looks out for us and who can provide for our every need. We need an everlasting Father who looks after us and protects us wherever we go. We need the Prince of Peace who looks over us and guides us through all of our trouble. And this Jesus can be your Jesus. He can be your wonderful counselor. He can be your mighty God. He can be your everlasting Father. He can be your Prince of Peace. He can be that on a first name basis. There was a man who loved Jesus with all of his heart and who was dying. He only had one son. They were best friends. And his only son was sitting at his bedside. The doctor had come in and told the son, this probably will be your dad's last night on earth so you probably need to say whatever you need to say. So they had a little talk there and he could tell his dad was really starting to slip into eternity. And he reached over and put his hand on his dad's shoulder. And he said, Dad, how do you feel? And just before he breathed his last, he looked at his son and he looked up into heaven and he said, son, I feel just like a child 
on Christmas Eve. I feel just like a child on Christmas Eve. I want to tell you something. If you know the Jesus that I know on a first name basis, if you know him as your wonderful counselor and your mighty God and your everlasting father and your prince of peace, you'll always feel just like a little child on Christmas Eve. Let's pray together.